0: Welcome to the brownstein hyatt farber Shrek podcast series. With Denver election results still trickling in, real estate shareholders Blair Lichtenfels and Zach Siegel recap where the tallies for mayor, city council, and referred questions stand as of Thursday morning. Tune in as they detail what we know about the results, what we don't, and where we go from here. Well, hi, Blair. Uh, I have some good news and I have some bad news for you this morning. It's almost 1130 on April 6th. And the bad news is that the topic of conversation that has dominated our texts and email correspondence for the past two and a half months is come and gone. But the good news is... We're getting a runoff in Denver's municipal elections on a number of the important races. So we will continue to talk about Denver's mayor race and also a number of city council races. So we're not done with our favorite topic of conversation. For those of you listening at home, welcome to episode three of... Our podcast, we're toying with the name Real Talk Denver, a pun with the word real estate. Um, But as part of the Brownstein podcast feed, uh, I'm Zach Siegel with my colleague Blair Lichtenfels. And today we are talking about a recap of Denver's municipal election, which was held on Tuesday of this week. And although we do not have all of the results in yet, we thought today would be a great time to pause take a look at where we're at now take a look at what we still have yet to learn and uh just do a little debrief so welcome blair
1: Yeah, nice to see you, Zach. I'm happy to be here talking to you about this again. I think what is so interesting is obviously we were watching returns on Tuesday night and watching returns all day yesterday, preparing an outline yesterday around two o'clock. And of course, half of the outline has changed in the less than 24 hours since. And everything that we are saying today could, could change again as we wait for the final votes to be counted and for the results to be certified by the clerk and recorder. But as you said, we do have some information. So obviously everything we're saying is only current as of... April 6th at 1130 a.m. But um, let's let's quickly run through some of the results or, or the potential results. And then let's talk a little bit about some takeaways that we've been tossing around in our conversations.
0: Yeah, that sounds great. Uh, you know, So obviously, there are three kind of general categories of results that we're going to dive into. You've got Denver's mayor's race. You've got city council races. And then you've got three referred questions that appeared on the ballot. Let's just, I think, go like one, two, three through those. Um, I'll tackle the mayor's race first. Uh, as it stands right now, there are three candidates who are still vying for two spots in a potential runoff. As a reminder, because and we, we knew this from the start, that no candidate was likely to get 50% of the vote that would win the mayor's race uh, on Tuesday, uh, we're headed to a runoff with the top two vote getters. As of right now, Mike Johnston is in the lead with 24.5% of the vote, followed by Kelly Bruff with 206 percent of the vote and then Lisa Calderone is in third with 17.4% of the vote and Uh, Although it seems like it's most likely that Mike and Kelly are headed to the runoff, uh, we did want to note that as votes have trickled in, the ballots that are counted later, obviously the ballots that were returned later, and those votes have trended towards Lisa. So Lisa, uh, on Tuesday night, had only 15.2% of the vote. Since the latest ballot drop, which was last night at 5 o'clock, her percentage has increased to 17.4%. Mike's percentage has stayed relatively stagnant as the ballots have been dropped in waves, but Kelly's percentage has dropped slightly. You know, Blair, we think there are about 20,000 votes that are still outstanding, so not sure if that's enough to swing uh, the the two spots from Kelly uh, and Lisa and flip their positions. But it is interesting to note that the ballots that are coming in later seem to be leaning more progressive towards Lisa's positions.
1: I absolutely agree with that. And uh, obviously we won't know until we know, but I agree that it it looks like it will be Mike and Kelly, but we'll have to wait till the results are certified and all of the ballots are counted, obviously. One of the things that I thought was interesting, I heard or read a statistic last night that 31% of the total ballots counted were turned in between 5 p.m. and 7 p.m. on election day. So I think we should talk about that a little bit later when we talk about turnout. And the ballots are counted in the order that they're received. And so those late voters obviously, right, are starting to trend a little bit more in, in Lisa's direction, which is certainly more progressive than, than Mike and Kelly.
0: It's funny, I, I, we woke up on... Uh... Tuesday morning to some snow and I texted Blair and said "Uh oh it's snowing I'm worried about the same day voters and she said don't add, underestimate their power this is not cause for concern yet and as it turns out Blair you were totally right like we got a number of ballots that were turned in at you know the 11th hour but those votes count the same so we'll see what happens um, just a note on the total number of ballots cast in the mayor's race thus far um, the Latest election results from the city of Denver say a little over 150,000 votes were cast in the mayor's race, which is about 28.9% of the eligible voters in the city of Denver. So that's just a note on where we're at for total turnout. Um, We'll see what that turnout looks like when it comes to the runoff. We'll get a new result there and we'll see if it's, it's higher or lower. Mm -hmm.
1: Okay, so let's talk about at-large. So as we um, discussed in our first podcast, the at-large race does not go to a runoff. So the top two vote-getters in that particular race end up being our two new at-large representatives. Recall our current at-large representatives, Robin Kanich and Debbie Ortega are both term limited, so they're not running again. And um, again, at this moment, it appears that Serena Gonzalez Gutierrez is leading that particular race. And Sarah Parity at the moment is right behind her. But um, Travis Laker and Penfield Tate are also in the running. And we're talking about a couple of hundred votes um, splitting the two of those. So um, we'll know more as soon as the remaining ballots are to be cast. But that election will be final. And we will know exactly who our two um, at-large winners are. Likely maybe the end of this week is my guess.
0: Yeah. And just for a little bit of context there, um, because the at-large race does not proceed to a runoff, we're looking at two candidates that may receive 20% or slightly less of the total ballots cast in the race, making it onto city council. It just has a different dynamic than the other races that I know Blair and I are about to, uh, to talk through, where you have... Higher percentages that likely will not make it into the su- in some of the runoffs in a few of the cases. So uh, Blair, do you want to take us through those council races quickly? Sure. I think there are a couple lessons learned. It seems like the incumbents did really well.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, great night for the incumbents. And we'll go through these quickly again. The election hasn't been called. The results haven't been certified, but it appears that the following is true. Um, Amanda Sandoval was reelected in District 1. Kevin Flynn reelected in District 2. Jamie Torres reelected in District 3. I'm going to come back to D4 in a minute. District 5, so far it looks like Amanda Sawyer is going to um, defeat challenger Michael Hughes. Paul Cashman was reelected in District 6. Um, in District 4, we only had two candidates running. So, again, this is another one, no runoff. Whoever receives the uh, largest number of votes wins. At this moment, it appears that that will be Diana Romero-Campbell. Um, I believe that she is uh, has about 56% of the total vote right now. So let's talk a little bit about District 7, 8, 9, and 10. And I would be remiss, District 11, Stacey Gilmore, was also reelected. So... We definitely, I think, have four runoffs, four, seven, eight, nine, and 10. District 7. This was um, Jolan Clark's district. So he was um, Jolan has served for two terms. He elected not to run again. And um, this is one of the places where the results have changed somewhat since um, Tuesday night. Uh, Floral Vidres is leading with, let's call it, 38% of the vote. Right behind her is Nick Campion with 18.91%. And Adam Estroff has 18.51%. So those two are what separated again, this is more math for me, but separated by what, like a couple of hundred votes. And you also have Guy Padgett in there with 16.56%. So we really won't know who is going to be in the runoff until this is completely counted. Um, but I think we're down to three, three candidates. For um, District Eight, this is another district where the results have changed since Tuesday night. The initial returns um, showed Brad Revere as leading. So, District Eight recall Chris Herndon has been the council member here, and he is term limited. He's been he's served um, out his his uh, maximum terms. So, the initial returns showed Brad Rivera as leading, but now actually, as of this. Uh, Thursday morning, Chantal Lewis is just ahead of Brad by about 30 votes. So this is another one definitely going to run off. I think we know who's going to be in the runoff. We won't know who has actually won this initial election until all the votes are counted. And
0: Blair, I'll just pause there on District 8. And I think you'll probably tell me a similar story when we talk about District 9. But these the results in District 8 seem to indicate the same sort of trend towards late progressive voters that we're seeing in the mayor's race, right? Uh, where Whereas Brad was in the lead on Tuesday night, that has shifted and we're seeing that Chantel is picking up more votes as later cast ballots are coming in and those results are tabulated. And I think that's the like I said, that's probably also true for District Nine.
1: Absolutely. I think you we will talk about that in a second. One of the other things to note about District eight, and I think this will apply to the mayor's race too, you know, here we had, let's see, one, two, three, four, five Um, five candidates on the ballot. There's always, of course, write-ins, and there were a few of those in District 8. But so you're also looking at three candidates who received anywhere from seven and a half to 13% of the total vote. And so all of those votes will need to be reallocated in the runoff. And so you'll look to the two um, runoff candidates to be trying to pick up those votes as we move towards the June 6th election. In District Nine, we only had three candidates running, so we had incumbent Candy Staabaca. We had Daryl Watson and Quan Atlas and again um, daryl watson 's returns he was shown as leading um, candy on Tuesday night that switched just slightly with the results um, the most recent results that we 're seeing on the Denver website. Councilwoman Seda-Baca is at 43.95% of the total vote with um, 6,112 votes. Daryl Watson is at 43.56% with 6,058 votes. So a very close race. Quan Atlas has about 12% of the votes, uh, 12.5% or so. So here, I think we know we're going to a runoff. We know it will be Candy and Daryl. And the question is just who receives the most votes um, initially. And then finally, District 10. So here, uh, incumbent... Chris Hines, as of right now, he is 5,300 votes and change, about 36%. Um, and this result also has changed slightly since uh, Tuesday night. Shannon Hoffman right now is showing as number two. She is 26.17% of the vote. And Noah Kaplan is right behind her with 25.53% of the vote. So um, this one also likely to go to runoff. We won't know who will be challenging uh, Chris Hines.
0: So, Blair, before we jump into the couple of referred questions, I think it'd be helpful to take a look back at where we're at and some of the lessons that we, we may not have learned yet, but some of what we're starting to understand about how the race shaped up. Uh, we talked a lot about the fair elections fund in our first podcast and how that potentially drove more candidates into the race by lowering the barrier to entry with public matching funds that allowed uh, people to put on really credible campaigns for mayor with matching dollars from the city. But that, drive of additional candidates into the race also had the effect of potentially causing candidates to split votes with other candidates in the race um you know we, we're seeing the, the results now with two candidates that are relatively close on the like, political spectrum potentially facing each other in the runoff, whereas some of the more progressive candidates, for instance, may not make it into the runoff. Do you have a perspective on how candidates split vote in the, this initial round?
1: Well, I think it's too early to have any real conclusive thoughts about this. But I actually look at this somewhat differently as between the mayor's race and the city council races. So in the mayor's race, we had so many people in the field. And I think some people would think of Mike and Kelly as being somewhat more ideologically similar than others. And the thing that was Interesting. Also, in the mayor's race is Andy Rougeau. I believe is going to finish fourth, and so he was, um, you know, using generalizations here. Likely the more conservative, or uh, one of the most conservative candidates on the ballot. So I think it's interesting to see how the vote splitting is going. And, and of course, really um, in places like District Eight, where you have multiple candidates, and District Ten, where you have multiple candidates, I think all of the the two candidates going into the runoff are going to be looking to see where they can pull votes. And of course, we're definitely going to see this in the mayor's race, right? Lisa's had a really strong showing. And so candidates are going to be looking to see how they can pull, you know, her voting electorate. And I think that will really shape the the discussion that we have sort of on a go forward basis.
0: Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. If Mike and Kelly are the two that ultimately advance the runoff, it'll be really interesting to see how they try to differentiate themselves from one another and how they try to pull votes from, you know, an electorate that we can now see is out there with some of the progressive candidates doing well, like Lisa but right behind Lisa with Andy Rougeau doing relatively well in the race. And will the strategy for one of the two candidates be to move right or to move left on certain issues? And how will that impact the dialogue going forward? Um, I also think it's pretty interesting now. We're going to move to a place in this race where there are only two candidates. And something that I heard from a lot of my friends and family was, you know, I'm really overwhelmed by this race. There are so many candidates in the fields. It's incredibly difficult to differentiate them. And as we talked about on our previous podcast, we're really only talking about one issue a lot of the time. But now that we're moving to the runoff, there'll be a lot more time and space for the two candidates to talk about more than homelessness. And also for us to get some better perspective on how they're different in terms of their visions for the city and the leaders that they would potentially be. And I think that I'm excited about that personally, because although I completely agree that homelessness is an incredibly important issue for the city, as we mentioned on our podcast, on our first podcast, That's not the only responsibility of our mayor, and I want to hear more from both of the two candidates that advance on all the other things that they're going to do for the city.
1: Absolutely. I'm excited to get a little bit more granular.
0: So, Blair, should we jump into the referred questions? These were a lot of fun for us as two real estate attorneys that we had essentially three different uh, referred questions that were all real estate or real estate adjacent issues. Um, You want to tell us how 2N and 2M shook out?
1: So um, both 2M and 2N were approved by the voters. They passed with um, strong support and at the risk of editorializing here, I think that's a great result for the city and uh, really happy that CPD and the various um, council members put these forward. I think it's going to improve and streamline a lot of processes, make things more efficient for everyone, uh, private parties, as well as the city. So uh, a good result.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. I think that they're both efficiency targeted, referred questions. And I think they'll streamline some city processes uh, and be really helpful for whoever the new incoming mayor is and for the new council. So excited about both of those. 2 um, had a different result. Um, and I think that you know, it's interesting. the The mayor's race has dominated a lot of our conversation in the lead up to the election. But transparently, between Blair and I, we've been talking about 2-0 since Tuesday night. When really early on, it was pretty clear that the measure would be defeated. So, Blair, I think the first thing is can you just give us a a reminder and a refresher on what 2.0 was about? And the reason I think that refresher is helpful is because it seems to me as I talk to my friends and my family that there was some confusion out there about what exactly voters were being asked.
1: I think that is 100% correct. And I um, heard the same thing again from friends, families, and, and colleagues as to what exactly was going on here. So in their defense, this is a really complicated issue, and um, before I try to explain it, note: like I, I've not reviewed these documents. This is not legal advice or legal analysis. This is just a general understanding of what um, was going on with referred question two O. So, effectively, the question was really just to ask Denver voters to approve lifting a conservation easement that was placed on a one hundred and fifty five acre. Private golf course by the city and the former owner of the property. And so the easement encumbers and binds the property, and it is for the benefit of the city and county of
0: Denver. I think it's pretty interesting as we <laughs> just as we dive in, like words like easement mean a lot to the two of us. But I think the word conservation is what voters were hearing in this referred question. And for, transparently, like conservation is a confusing word because when we hear it in other contexts, we think open space, we think parks, we think preservation of, of wildlife and, and those sorts of things. Not we don't what that
1: easement does. Right, <laughs> we at do all.
0: not think conservation conservation means this will stay a golf course. And something that I heard from folks was yeah, I voted against 20 because I want Park Hill to be a park.
1: Right. Yeah, and that's not actually how it works in any way. So let us be crystal clear. This this land is private land. It is privately owned. By um, Westside Investment Partners or, or an affiliate. They've owned it um, since 2019. The easement was intended to provide a, a perpetual easement limiting use of that 155 acres to an 18 hole fee based public golf course with other recreational purposes that don't interfere with the golf course. Notably, the golf course has been closed since 2018, but there's nothing in the easement that, that requires this to be anything but a fee-based golf course. There's no park, et cetera. And so... Just going back a little bit, so in 2022, voters approved initiated initiated Ordinance 301, and this is a measure that was put forward by opponents of redevelopment of this 155 acres, and, and it basically confirmed that public approval was required in order for the city to release the easement and to let go of this restriction that the city has had for several years on the property. So... The developer, they knew that this um, referred question was going to go to the ballot. And so in the meantime, since initiated ordinance was approved, they've spent time negotiating a small area plan, a rezoning and a development agreement with the city and county of Denver and a community benefits agreement with the neighborhood. Now, none of those things get to really be implemented or or get to be utilized to cause vertical development unless and until this easement is released. And so that was really what the voters were asked to do.
0: This was really just a very preliminary first step asking the voters in the city of Denver whether they could proceed with any type of development on the property and making sure that it would not need to continue to be a golf course. Well,
1: I wouldn't call it a first step because the developer actually spent all of the time getting the city to approve the rezoning and the small area plan and the development agreement. But this was the catalyst for allowing the developer to proceed under those approved development plans if you will.
0: Sure, maybe prerequisite sure. is a better That's way right. of describing it, but at mm-hmm. the end of the day it, it does seem interesting to me because I know that a part of that development plan that Westside was potentially proceeding with there was a park included in that development plan and there were a number of uh affordable housing, you know, components to the plan, but by not passing 20, we've said that cannot proceed. It has to remain a golf course.
1: Exactly right, and so I think that you know the the owner and and their partners will have to consider sort of all of the options, and I think they've indicated that they will do the same. Um, and I think we can. This this is definitely going to be a topic of conversation. I think, particularly in the mayor's race, but also in the council races as well. I think people are going to want to know what next, what happens next, and really, in some ways that's up to the owner of the property. Do they want to go back to the drawing board and see if we can, they can change their development plans to enough to get the citizens to approve lifting the easement? But um, with initiated Ordinance 301, we still need public approval to release the easement. So it's really still locked up and will remain private land until that changes.
0: Yeah, I think it's really interesting that when you zoom in and zoom out on this particular issue, when you zoom out for a second, I think... We think about it in the context of how Denver's growing and changing over time. You know, it's not every day that you find this many acres of undeveloped land in the municipality. And when we're thinking about how Denver will be a sustainable place for, growth over time we want to be thoughtful about how we use these remaining pieces of property that exist that's the big picture and then as you zoom in we are in the context of the runoff elections that will happen 2 months from today on June 6 and we will see how each candidate tailors their message around this issue because i totally agree with you blair we are we're not done talking about this issue just because referred question 20 did not pass on tuesday I think it is still something that will uh, come up and likely come up even more as we move forward with the runoff election.
1: So before we talk about some of the other things like turnout and and dollars per vote, just a reminder for anyone who might be listening, the runoff is on June 6th. Please vote. Um, These are really, really important issues and these are people who are going to be shaping the future of our city for years to come.
0: Let's talk about turnout. Uh, You know, I, I think... Blair and I both felt a little sense of frustration as we worried about turnout before the election and then saw the turnout, which right now stands at just about 29% of the voters, the registered voters in the city of Denver. Blair, I, I know that I think that there was a general sense of being somewhat overwhelmed, particularly by the mayor's race with the number of candidates in, involved that drove some voters to stay home or does not fill out that mail-in ballot.
1: So I think as it all shakes out that the, the turnout will likely be consistent with what we've seen in prior municipal elections by the time they count this last chunk of votes today. But I think that's still generally low turnout. I mean, it should be noted there are 524,000 registered voters in the city and County of Denver. And whether we wind up at 160,000 votes or our 200,000 votes, it's still not great turnout. So we, as a city could be doing better in that regard, but sure. I think there's a number of reasons that turnout is low, you know, snow, Right, I think the anecdotally, I heard from a lot of people who are not necessarily as interested in this as I am that the number of mayoral candidates was um really overwhelming and if you wanted to be a good citizen and do all your research, all of a sudden you're researching seventeen people and you know i I love to shop, but I don't look at seventeen websites when I want to buy you know a new bag so at the end of the day that's a that's a lot of work, and um I think people were overwhelmed and they put it off to the last minute, which I think also explains the 31% turning their ballots in between five and seven.
0: Yeah. And I don't want to beat a dead horse, but we also – Saw we were also somewhat frustrated by the fact that there was really one issue that dominated the discourse in the mayor's race. And I think it frustrated some folks that they were really being asked to either go do their own research, which is time intensive and somewhat complicated, or rely on differentiating the candidates on the basis of this one issue that a lot of people care a lot about, but is not the only task of a mayor. So I know that I heard from some friends, That, you know... They just didn't want to make a decision between two potentially viable candidates that may have had their vote based on where they shook out on the homelessness issue. And it was especially complicated in instances where it sounded like the two candidates they were weighing their choice between were coming out the same on the issue. And I think that did drive some folks to just throw up their hands and say, I'll wait for the runoff. Although I will say in past elections, we have not seen turnout as high in the runoff as we did in the the, uh, election. election itself so for those folks that said that to me in my life like I'm, I'm watching you like go, go vote in the runoff you said you were gonna wait till now
1: yeah and I think also a lot of just confusion over the issues again I think just what we discussed sort of not understanding exactly what referred question 2o is about and so again people wanting to make educated decisions but not really knowing how to get the information to, to do so so it'll be interesting to see. I think the other thing is sometimes people feel like because there is a runoff in certain of these choices, that that's really where they, the rubber meets the road and when they should really get involved in the voting process.
0: Um, I thought we'd recap a little bit on where the fair election fund shook out and who took some of those dollars. So, uh, A total of $3.5 million in fair election funds were distributed to 13 of the Denver mayor candidates. Um, 39%, so a very sizable chunk of that money, went to Mike Johnston and Kelly Brough. Uh, So interesting to see that those are are likely to be the two candidates that wind up in the runoff that took home nearly 40% of the total fair election fund dollars that were distributed. Um, The remaining 11 candidates that participated in the fair election fund split the additional 2.15 million to about 60% of the dollars in the race um i did note um and kudos to nine news for some of this reporting it's been excellent but uh Andy Rougeau uh, did not participate in the Fair Election Fund and spent a reported $850,000 of his own money in the mayor's race. And as it stood the other night, that was about $60 per vote that Andy Rougeau spent in the race. So certainly goes to show you a stark difference between those who participated in the Fair Election Fund and those who didn't.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, the other statistic that I I read was that there was a significantly increased role in sort of outside groups. for this particular election at more than six times the $560,000 spent on the mayoral contest in 2019. Now, of course, the 2019 race, you had an incumbent, so it's a different situation. But um, I also read four, more than $4.7 million in outside money was reportedly spent on the um, April 4th elections with about $3.6 going towards the mayoral contest and $1.2 million aimed at the city council races. So I think that's kind of an interesting statistic too, and I'm sure we'll, we'll continue to see. Um, the influence of that. But so one of the things I just wanted to point out, so I, I heard from a number of people who listened to our last podcast, and they couldn't believe how much money was spent on these elections for a relatively low voter turnout, and the the equations of sort of uh, dollars per vote, it's quite um, significant. And I suspect that all of this will likely result in some discussion on potentially re- reforming portions of the Fair Election Fund um, or other ways to maybe make this more efficient, reach more more voters for for less dollars. And one of the things that we've been talking about is ranked choice voting. So Zach, can you explain a little bit about what that is?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So ranked choice voting is a different voting system than what we have now. Uh, Our current voting system is pretty straightforward. In the mayor's race, for instance, you vote for one candidate and that one candidate gets your one vote. Ranked choice voting is different in that voters choose their candidates in an order of preference. So you rank your candidates, first, second, third, fourth. And if your first choice candidate doesn't win, your vote automatically goes to the next choice that you ranked. So it's a different, you know, voting system that I think is particularly helpful in the context of, races with a larger number of people in them, which if we take this election for mayor as an example of what might happen moving forward in the city of Denver, there may very well be a number of candidates in the race. And this might be a potentially viable alternative to our current voting system that allows folks to express their preferences in a little bit more of a nuanced way than simply voting for one candidate. Um, And Blair, I think we we probably want to dive into ranked choice voting in a more substantive way with a little bit of time to uh, evaluate the, our election more, more than two days after the fact. But there are lots of potential benefits and a couple potential downsides that folks have identified. Uh, one of our colleagues, uh, Doug Friednash, wrote an excellent op-ed about ranked choice voting and its potential benefits in the Denver Post. I encourage everyone to go check it out. Um, it's an excellent piece. But um, I think we'll dive into it more substantively later. But I think, Blair, to your point, you're absolutely right. Like, like, are there reforms to the fair election fund that might be coming? Maybe. Are there reforms to how we vote in the city of Denver? Maybe. We learned a lot from this election, and it's less than 48 hours after polls closed. We will know a lot more in the coming weeks and months, and we'll be looking back on this race for a long time. Um, it's really exciting. And the good news for the two of us is there is much more to discuss as we proceed towards the runoff. And this is not the last podcast that we will we will do on this topic.
1: Yep. Looking forward to continuing the, uh, the text and email banter about this issue and um, looking forward to see the final results, probably in relatively short order. Thanks, Zach.
0: Thanks, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Brownstein High at Farber Shrek podcast series. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Visit bhfs.com for more information.